Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist is fucking killing me. I'm Corinne. And I'm Rainy. Happy Tuesday. Happy, happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, y'all. Rainy, are you still in uh, quarantine by yourself? Uh, yep, 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 yep. I am right now. <laughs> when we're in the moment of us recording this, I am still in quarantine. Um, you know, really just living my best by myself life. Are you over it? I'm over it. I'm very over it. I am over it. <laughs> I don't really know what else to say. Uh, it's nice having like time to yourself and being able to do what you want, but I really just want to like rage drink <laughs> with my friends, <laughs> you know, and Back sing here karaoke. In the city. Love to sing some Shania Twain right now. Yeah. Wow crushing a 12 pack of cc <laughs> uh, um you know what i yeah. saw the other day i think i sent it to the society of beer drinking ladies uh group chat yes oh, yes that you can buy cottage springs vodka soda drinks in a fucking like box wine style what in ontario i, I sent it to one. you i sent it to you oh Okay, I'll look. For those that don't know, we have like a, a group chat with our girlfriends because we last summer we did like a, <laughs> a bike crawl to a bunch of different. This is like when things were just starting to open up. Um, and none of us and we were, were able working. To, <laughs> none of us were working. They had just started opening up some things, uh, I think like retail or something. And it was nice outside. So we started doing these like bike beer crawls where we'd bike around the city and like go to different breweries or different like local spots. And get a drink and then we'd bike to a different one and it was just so fun and so we started this group chat of <laughs> called society of beer drinking ladies <laughs> and it's now where we send all the memes and tiktoks to each other exactly yeah. <laughs> it's literally all it is yeah um, um how are you doing Corinne? i'm doing okay um i feel like i had a good week i was a little like sleepy it's like been raining every or cloudy every single day in the city right now so it's just like weather wise um but did you hear the good the good good vaccine news what's the good good vaccine news for ontario oh my gosh i don't have the link up so last week it was announced that we're moving up the timeline for vaccinations in ontario so april 30th which is the day that we're recording this, everyone 55 and up can start using the provincial booking system, not a thousand different booking systems all over the place to book vaccines. The week of May 3rd, which will be the week that you're hearing this, 50 years old. The next week, May 10th, 40. The next week, May 17th, 30. And May 24th, 18 years and up can start using the provincial booking system to book vaccines, which is almost two weeks- it's great. Fingers crossed, which is almost two weeks earlier than they predicted would happen. So, and there's like a whole new like schedule that's rolling out, like even within those age groups, who else can get vaccinated, which is like people with high risk health conditions, um, mm-hmm. people that can't work from home, educators, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. So that's the best news that we've gotten in a long fucking time. Who lit a fire under the government's booty? I mean, the outrage is pretty fucking loud right now so totally i mean did you see the page if you're new to the podcast yeah (laughs) if you're new to the podcast um here at gal pals we print and i we are we live in ontario 
Yes. And Ontario is still in lockdown. And I know if you're from the States, that seems insane. We are still in stay at home order. It is so insane. It's, <laughs> it's, it's been crazy. It's been a rough ride for us. And um, anyway, that's great news. So everybody yeah. keep an eye out for that and book your vaccine as soon as possible. Jabs and arms. Jibs. Jibs and arms. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Also, if you're new yeah. to the podcast, did you know we have a Patreon page? Yeah, we have a Patreon page. You can head over there. You get live video footage of the recording of the podcast because we are mm-hmm. recording virtually. We have it for the past year. Um, so you get that. You also get a bunch of extra footage. Um, we get a we do a five on five on the fifth of every month where we talk about five awesome things. Um, we release um, video essays, we release unseen photos, behind the scenes footage, just a bunch of cool content. And it's a really nice way to support podcasts because, you know, podcasts still cost money. Yeah. And it's really important to us that we keep this podcast as accessible as possible. And that means keeping it free and not like hiding the audio behind a paywall or a subscription mm-hmm. service. So every single dollar that goes back into, that goes into Patreon goes back into the podcast, which then goes to continue to reach our t- out to local and national and now international artists mm-hmm. by creating a very multidisciplinary multidisciplinary community. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So go head on over to our Patreon page. Check us out. We would love your support. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. The link is always in our bios. Yes. <laughs> this week, Ooh. we are doing a very special first time ever crossover episode with drum roll the dance union Woo! if you don't know who the dance union is i we highly suggest you check them out they are Mm -hmm. this amazing group based out of new york city that have their own podcast Mm -hmm. called the dance union they also have this Mm -hmm. really amazing funding platform that's called dance relief fund nyc new york city dancer relief fund yes yeah which they started at the beginning of covid last year the lovely jay and melanie who are the hosts of the dance union join us yeah and it's so cool because you know like we've been doing this podcast for a while they've been doing the podcast for a while they're both dancers we're both dancers it was just like so cool um, to be able to do like a crossover and so what that means is that we have today's episode where we interview them and then you can actually head on over to their um, podcast and you can listen to them interview us we talk about different subjects on each um, podcast Um, I don't think anything really gets repeated and it's just like a really cool experience to be able to interview each other and be interviewed yeah the conversation is really interesting and cool and it felt nice to be on the other side for once. And yes, of course. they were lovely humans who do great things for their community, like super invested in the dance community in NYC. Totally. And, and yeah, and if you're new here to Gal Pals, we are also very like, we all love community here. That's why we started our podcast. That's why they started their podcast. Um, we love fellow uh, friends who are also com- invested in their community. Totally. Here we go. Yeah, let's get started. Um, like, how are you two dealing with, with the pandemic and the switchover? Did you find that like when dancing stopped, but like being mobile stopped and you, did you start working more on the podcast or more on your admin work? Um, what do you think? 
that's for me it's it's I can it's very challenging right because I'm in a place right now where I'm realizing um actually I've been trying to get out of admin work Mm. for like Jay's Jay's been a part of this this progress and process and has seen me sort of like migrate out of it and get more into dancing Mm. and we work with folks and collaborating and traveling and things like that COVID hit and I see that I went back to that which I was trying to escape mm-hmm. I don't know if it was a, a symptom of scarcity or fear or whatever but like admin work just grew exponentially mm-hmm. so now I'm in a place of like be like how did I get here and how do I get out because um I guess we can circle back to this too. It's like, my body is not happy. Mm-hmm. My body needs to move. My body is like missing rigorous, sweating, stretching mm-hmm. thought. So I'm trying to figure out how to get back to that um, without, without the, the discipline that comes with like a class mm-hmm. or, yeah. you know, like having a deadline or something. It's like, oh, I'm actually having to do it of my own volition and will, which is, I'm noticing a bit challenging. Same. Um, yeah mm-hmm. but yeah Jay I'm curious what was your sort of the transition like or the switch for you I feel like I went the other direction because I had just at the time of the pandemic I was dancing with the Bill C. Jones on your same company mm-hmm. and we were technically still like preparing for things mm-hmm. so I was like spending after about two weeks of like just settle in we like picked up rehearsals that we were preparing for things so I was dancing mm-hmm. pretty much like three to five hours a day during the stay-at-home orders in the early months wow. and I was doing That's a lot of admin work for sure but I've yeah. always been doing a lot of admin work in relationship to my own projects the, uh, the dance union and then we started the relief fund um, mm-hmm. at the same time of everything so there was there was a substantial amount of admin work but I don't think it grew anymore I feel like um I had just started a life where I was like capital A artist. And I define that as like an artist who's like primary source of income, primary thoughts, primary energy input goes into the creation and development mm-hmm. um, of art. And I had, I was like barely a year into that. Um, so I, Me too. Right? it was like oh. barely a year and I was like not willing to give it up. So I, I've after after being let go from the company, I've just been like, all right, this is what I do. I'm I'm my artist. I do what I do now, and this is the life that I live. So I'm like doing admin work, but honestly, it doesn't really feel like admin work. It just feels like I'm just all I'm just being an artist. <laughs> right. Yeah. I love that Jay, and I admire folks that are able to sort of continue to stay in their purpose and their passion of uh, making art. And it's interesting because my work, admin work. Uh, that picked up exponentially was art and advocacy work for arts and culture in New York yeah. City, um, especially because we have all these uh, turnover city council and the mayoral races right. that uh, I was fortunate enough to be aligned with some work that like was fighting for certain policy and certain budgets and things like that to support artists. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is important work. And what sort of trickled away and, and sort of committed to that work was sort of uh, the Melanie admin work, the mm. building of, of performances and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found other ways of moving around it. So, yeah. You know. And because you guys started the, the New York City Dancer Relief Fund and it's raised over $50,000. Is it more now? That was the last time I heard was 50 over. Yeah. 50. Oh, yeah. 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 More. <laughs> wow. And that's just through the dance mm-hmm. union. That's just you two together raising money for dancers. 
Um, because so there's five of us now. There's oh, there five is five of us now. Yes, oh, okay, uh, Melanie, myself, Jeremy Guyton, Christine Wyatt, and Troy Ogilvie. Mm, the twerk team. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you found it interesting that, you know, freelance dancers, there's no union for freelance dancers. I know that there is like an organization that's like working in the States to try and help that union happen. But after you, like the dance union, raised all this money do you think that there it shows that there is a need for a freelance dance union more so yes. than it did before i think i think the answer is yes mm -hmm. and but 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 where i feel like this conversation as it's been as we've been invited to this many times since the dance union has mm. like been around um i think the question is more about what kind of union and what does this union need to do and mm. how does it need to serve the freelancers um mm there is a there's a huge decline of unions since about the the 80s maybe maybe at the, mm -hmm. you could even probably point to the 90s if you want to be like you know conservative about it but like there's mm -hmm. been a decline since the 80s in uh in the states for all kinds of unions so in general the states is in need of workers unions mm -hmm. um labor rights unions um in at all over the place so for freelance dancers it's like we i feel like we just need to be in uh, see ourselves first as laborers, <laughs> as mm -hmm. workers who are deserving yeah. of representation and rights and unionship. And then also once once we can get there collectively, at least in a critical mass, mm -hmm. then we could be in the conversation of now, what does this union need to do? Mm -hmm. Right. Because I think it to be is important to be mindful that I think the, the system and the structure that needs to happen does not exist mm. and so it's going to require a lot of uh, thoughtfulness and curiosity to get to that mm -hmm. point and i will say what what's been helpful is since covid our government has actually recognized that independent workers are deserving of unemployment mm. uh, ppp loans mm -hmm. and things like that so it's, it's become evident that we are recognized as workers as, as jay mentioned mm -hmm. and that are also do certain support for sustainability and i think even like with that kind of information mm. um it can sort of also inform what sort of a, a workers union labor union looks like that encompasses a lot of mm -hmm. independent laborers and contractors 1099 folks you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. <laughs> um i'm wondering because this is something that i've thought about too because there's also not a union for dancers here um if, if it's a sustainable model to look at actors unions mm. and then model a dancers union in a similar way or look to those unions that have been around for a long time in mm. arts and entertainment and go from there mm. i'll just say i think it's, it's again it's a tricky conversation for me because uh again as sort of the the popularity of unions have declined what's also been really evident is like the conservative nature of a lot of unions mm. and like who runs it i feel like a union definitely needs to be run by the people who it represents yeah, and totally. needs to be held accountable to those people right. and so i think some of the unions that currently exist are not doing that no. um and so i don't know if that's the model we want to sort of base our situation off of right yeah. i think if there's a model that we should base uh freelancer dance union or basically any kind of workers union off of i would i would point to the black panther party um mm -hmm. as their models and their manifestos um to align union on because it really does it it, it their model situates themselves in in the changing fabric 
of a field, right? Or of a, of a certain right. kind of, of um, certain kind of landscape. And with freelancers, freelance dancers, and just dancers in general, we, we go through a lot of abuse and a lot of mm. um, harm that is embedded in the culture and it's not specific to any system of oppression. It's like a, an amalgamation and a, and honestly like a clusterfuck of all of it. Um, so if we're gonna really like have a union that represents those artists, I think we also need to have a union that is working um, working avidly on advocating for the artists and for the field to change that culture. And that's where I think the Black mm -hmm. Panther Party is was a model that in America or in, in the States at least, it was something that um did change like we got there was no breakfast for for public schools before the black panther party there was right. no snack right. before the mm. black panther party you know so we need to we need to see radical models and radical change in unions not to model after the ones that are still in existence now because those yeah. are more like in and out crowd kinds of um mm -hmm. clubs as opposed to unions very true yeah and that's a great point yeah. too because if you as you say like there's also looking at like it needs to represent a wide breadth of people from different right. uh, socioeconomic backgrounds and things right. like that. It can't just be the big Broadway folks. It has to totally. also be yes. small business budget mm -hmm. owners and, and all of you know, the different ways in which we intersect with the field. Mm -hmm. And you make such an interesting point there, Jay, that it's just something that I've noticed as well. Like with this pandemic start, like with this pandemic, it's been terrible. But what it's also done is it's it's opened up this like world that we can now create and we can now make better because it feels like we're starting from scratch a little bit which is like i kind of mourned the loss of this industry for a lot during the pandemic because it, it felt like it was disappearing and you see all these big companies you know disbanding or um all these like you know beautiful theaters and spaces not able to like pay their rent and having to you know give up their spaces and it's sad but it was also giving given us like new ideas to look forward to we get to create the world that we want to create now we get to create the union that we want to create now not looking back at these you know the forefathers of the dance world and like moving forward because there's as great as they were there were issues there you know and mm -hmm. they they helped you know oh, yeah. you know create this this dance world that can be very very traumatic and problematic and we've all you know all been there and we've all had experiences where that's happened so I would say because of that, what you just mentioned, um, Rainey, that I actually celebrated the dismantling of the system as it currently yeah. exists. Mm -hmm. And where I currently am is like, we have to also be very mindful as we sort of uh, rebuild that we're not falling on um, mm -hmm. habits that we're not serving us. Mm -hmm. And so even in some of the admin work I'm doing, I'm constantly asking folks to slow down. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, okay, so we talked about Black Lives Matter. We talk about dismantling white supremacy. Here's how it started to show up again. It's creeping up in your, in your, uh, urgency mm -hmm. or your inability to slow down and actually make different choices. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm actually excited for the dismantling of it and the the, the potential to rebuild, not rebuild, or create something yeah. different, but okay. understanding it's going to take a lot of work. Yeah. Yes. Right. I heard something, a, a new, I heard a new image when it came to like structures coming down that mm -hmm. really, I think, situates what we're, what we're where we are at now in a cycle of life that mm -hmm. everything that lives has this you know that we can be in alignment with which is allow these systems to die so that they can become compost for the new that we're going mm -hmm. to build mm -hmm. very beautiful yeah yeah i think that's something that cyrus marcus ware talked about too yeah 
yeah. in the cycle of dismantling um, oppressive systems. Mm-hmm. Everything has to crumble and die before we can pick up what we want to carry forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's valuable resource mm-hmm. in in things dying and going back into the earth. Like it really replenishes mm-hmm. the land. And we, and if you just think about what it takes to to have a bountiful harvest, um, and I'm going to just get real like historian. I just spend a lot of time looking at history yeah. in my spare time. Um, in in Arcadia, Greece, and like ancient Greece, from like four BC to like four hundred BC, um, when they were like you know a grain culture, so they were planting their grains. Farmers did not plant on more than half of their land so that they can allow the other part of the land to replenish its nutrients for the next year's harvest. So there was this understanding that the even the soil itself needs to be replenished with nutrients and things that replenish the nutrients are the things that die and go back into the earth. So let us let these mm-hmm. systems die, go back into uh, the earth, you know, make the soil rich again so that we have something to plant from. We can't grow anything in barren soil. Mm-hmm. 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 That's such like a metaphor even, I mean, for what we're talking about, then also just for your body, you know, for like taking care of yourself and like allowing yourself to, be healthy before moving forward. Um, with this, I do want to just touch on this New York City dancers really because I'm. It's amazing what you two did. This is you should be so. I mean, I'm sure you are so proud of yourself, but it's fucking phenomenal. It's like how much money you raised, and it's you, so much good for the community, and it's it's beautiful. Um, do you think that this is a relief fund that can move at the same way forward? after the pandemic? Do you think this is a relief fund that could be used for dancers that are, you know, laid off um, dancers that I think I've, in one of the podcasts, I heard Melanie talk as well about dancers like um, immigrants that recently don't have, aren't established and aren't eligible for, you know, unemployment and all that stuff. Do you think that there's a possibility for that? Uh, I'll I'll let Jay speak to that vision because Jay's so eloquent about it, but I will just first (laughs) uplift and say that, uh, we didn't we did not do this relief fund alone like our community showed the fuck mm. up. like our community really stepped up mm. and it really showed the abundance and the bountifulness of how we can support each other when our government was not um yeah. and so none of it would be possible had you know you can see all the people who donated yeah. um and the gofundme and then even these beautiful uh private donors who were like yup heard you see what you're doing um Shit, yeah i want to support <laughs> yeah so my um thank you for naming that melanie and that's I often think about that when I think about why I'm so proud to be a New Yorker because mm-hmm. we came together like fast in so many ways, but I got to be in the center of it with the relief fund with mm-hmm. Melanie and with our community um, to like daily witness that, you know, mm-hmm. it brought, it brought so much hope and light in, in the midst of un- deep uncertainty and darkness. So mm-hmm. um, I think working on that relief fund actually helped me have a reason to like, hold on to life daily. Mm. Um, but with the relief fund and its evolution, um, it was it was like maybe a month or two in that I like turned to Melanie and I was like, I think this relief fund um, must grow in relationship to how the field is moving from this point on. So right now it's COVID as the need. Um, most recently, the, the Texas climate disaster yeah. Um, mm-hmm. is where we shifted and, and um, I, w- I guess open up our application process and open up the funds to dancers in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the model that's starting to build in response to what's going on in our world and in our communities is that 
just as you mentioned, Rainey, um, dancers go through a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Freelance dancers go through a lot of stuff uh -huh. that aren't, we're just have no protection under getting paid, not in full, not on time, not at uh -huh. all. Um, late. late. Yeah, getting injuries, all these kinds of things where there are no like real public resources to protect you because even the, many, many of the public resources I didn't even have access to until I started dancing with like a major dance company. Um, right. Uh -huh. So the really fun being able to be a space that the community supports one another is a beautiful thing. And I want to be very clear that that is something that we can do but it is only intended to be harm reduction. It does not solve the problem. Mm. That's mm -hmm. what often happens with these right. community-driven things is that government systems are like, oh, we don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to take care of you because you just created us to take care of yourself. And it's like, no, this is a Band-Aid until you change your systems and your laws. So right. with the relief fund adapting as needed, it is always to be in response to what is not here so that we can bring attention to what needs to be changed in our local and state and federal governments. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a good point. And do you know how many dancers exactly that you guys have been able to help with that relief fund? Or there's is a that chart kind of somewhere? There's a chart. <laughs> 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 it's an Excel I just thought I was I like giving up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna look it up right now. Three hundred at this point. I don't know. Um, <laughs> can I ask for people listening that might not know about? about you two yeah. what came first was it the podcast was it the like the community outreach was it the uh, social media memes what was the first thing that like oh, came wow. forward <laughs> the memes. it went in the memes it was uh it was first it was first a desire then an idea then a podcast mm -hmm. um melanie came in around episode 10 i was working on the podcast with uh caroline Furman um mm -hmm. before uh caroline couldn't continue on um before we even actually premiered it so that's part of why we haven't had caroline's name in but um then it was then there were memes um <laughs> and, which actually came out of like just my frustration with being in rehearsal honestly i was like <laughs> it was really that it had almost nothing to do with the podcast until like we thought it, it could anyways um then it was a meme then it was a relief fund then it was the town hall and now we're now we're here with all these yeah. tentacles. I'm going to even back us up further. I'm going to say it was community outreach, community first, mm -hmm. right? Because Jay, you and I met at a, within a, um, what was it? A residency program, right? Mm -hmm. So just even like that space that created community and then you and I met and we realized like that we were circling around the same like uh, environment a lot with, and then finally connecting and realizing that we're almost twins, but not. And like all that stuff, you yeah. know? Like a day apart birthday. So, <laughs> wow yeah march 31st for melanie april 1st for me aries yes yeah shit done. me you too done. yeah hey welcome it's your birthday april 16th i'm like right at the end yeah. they're coming <laughs> but i yeah i mean i have i'm like a gemini magnet my every boyfriend i've ever had is a magnet every like best friend is a gemini i'm sorry is a gemini it's 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 crazy. Yeah, I, could... in Gemini? Do you I know mean, that? know your patterns. I was attracting a lot of Sagittarius's, a lot of <laughs> uh, like old fire. Yeah. And recently I got, I'm like with a Virgo and I'm like, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> but how grounding. Yeah. Right. right? You know? right. Yeah. Do you know where your Mars is at? No, uh, I... where my Mars is? 
Do you yeah. ask me? Sorry, or Corinne? Yeah, rainy. Oh, I don't actually know what that means. I'm not as I'm not as good as I'm not as much of an astro astrologer as you, Jay. Unfortunately, and Melanie, oh, but I don't, it was just my genuine curiosity because you mentioned the Gemini's. Um, yeah. But I was most times like the the persons or the 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 um, astrological signs that you attract are often in relationship to your Mars. Um, so oh. yeah, so check that out if you ever want to just go online and get that chart read. Yeah, well, Brand when it. When is your birthday, Corinne? Yeah, February 27th. I'm a Pisces. Yay! Pisces moon yeah. over here. <laughs> Both of my other signs are Capricorn. So I'm a Pisces. Capricorn, Ooh, Capricorn. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Did you, feel, did you get that, yeah. did you get that have, overwhelming sense of exhaustion yesterday around like 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern time? What was I doing yesterday? What was I doing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I had to teach at like 4.15 and I like got home and I was like, uh, it, was, it, was deep. <laughs> it was like dehydration in your belly you know when you feel that dehydration that's what I felt yesterday at like 3 30 right before I was about to teach I was I was done <laughs> but I saw I saw your your uh your Instagram story about that as well and <laughs> so many of us felt it here's the thing go ahead Melanie. oh no I was gonna say I just I feel like I'm in the space of like uh respecting the cycles a lot more I'm yes. also like loving tuning into the, the, the lunar pulse so it's like interesting to me like when I'm feeling lethargic I'm like it's like this is where we are actually in the same way we talked about things mm -hmm. needing to die for new things I'm like actually we need those low point points too and remain and stay hydrated and nourished and know that it's going to sort of do this mm -hmm. but that like mm -hmm. don't try to change it or judge it it's just like oh damn like I am I need to take a nap yeah totally like recognize which it. is what I did yesterday yeah that's interesting I felt that too yesterday and like was gonna take a nap and then three hours later I was like okay well that was asleep I needed that <laughs> let's make dinner yeah <laughs> right yes. exactly yes um well like we really I mean I'm just gonna take it back to these what we were talking about with the podcast <laughs> but like we we were talking about like when we first when you were blowing up in here in like Toronto on everyone's phones everyone was reposting those um ballet is not the foundation of dance dance memes and I think that's how like a would you say that's how a lot of people like fled to your social media or did you guys have oh, yeah. a large following before no yeah no not on social media I think social media we might have had honestly the dancing and podcast and the social media was essentially like me and Melanie's like in group of community in mm -hmm. New York it was really insular um and it needed to be for its time, you know, but those memes taking off really brought in a bunch of folks that had little to no connection to Melanie and I directly. Mm. And I'm really, I'm really grateful to see how far they went. Um, and Melanie, do you remember when we went to um, what was college with Catherine Cabine, um, Marymount, Marymount, Manhattan, we went to, we went into a class. Um, our friend Catherine Cabine um, brought us in and we were just doing like a general class, like, hey, you know, we kind of run a podcast for artists in the world talking about stuff. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. I briefly mentioned the SpongeBob meme and to watch their faces go, oh, that was you? I was like, <laughs> wow, okay, this is way more impactful than I thought it was. Okay, like it yeah. really changed people's lives. So I'm happy to know that. Also, there was just so much truth in it too that yeah. was just, it was so, it was so needed. It was so needed. And like to have that little like, you know, humory meme culture mm -hmm. spin on it. It's just so relatable. And so, I mean, we've all been there, you know, in your like postmodern history class and you're like, mm -hmm. 
this talk and then someone mentions something when you're in the actual industry and you're like why did i fucking learn about that like what am i paying for you know sorry i was right in my mic (laughs) real Um, question yeah exactly (laughs) um something like we've been we've been chatting about a lot and that we've been having our own issues with like me and Curran is um because we have the podcast and we're not specifically dance related we're like uh you know we're open to like all types of disciplines is kind of like how ours works and um but there are these like weird moments that happen because we're like we're a podcast we're journalism in a sense um but there there will often be like publications or partnerships that like come into the mainstream news here in Canada like the dance mag like I'm um, not dance magazine sorry the Canadian dance current and sometimes we have to talk about issues that are really hard and don't necessarily make these institutions or these publications look very good mm-hmm. um and sometimes I I mean we try to be as like neutral as possible while still like showing opinions Corinne's making a face do we well (laughs) (laughs) um but we try and be as neutral as possible while still you know showing our opinions and showing that you know what they're doing might be wrong but I often wonder because I'm like you know still dancing like how it is affecting me like getting getting work and how is it affecting how these institutions view me do you ever have you know, those kind of doubts or those kind of situations happen. And I, I kind of want to move it back to like, I saw that there was something happening with the dance magazine in February that you oh, yeah. two were pretty oh, vocal Rainy. about. Oh, Rainy. Here's the thing. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like we're very much, we are very vocal on where we stand on things mm-hmm. because we can mm-hmm. be, and you know, we're not a nonprofit. We're not, you know, we are, I don't want to say nonpartisan, like we're very clear. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important because for us in our community, they, there needed to be that honesty and that transparency for our industry because we're tired of this like opaque yeah. shit, right? Totally. And so if there are any spaces or places that has a problem with what we say mm-hmm. or how we say it, we probably don't want to work with them mm-hmm. anyway. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, that's such a good answer to that question. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's hard because yeah. I think, I mean, I think that was one of my concerns when I first started. And then also it's like, sometimes I say things that I don't remember I said it, but I'm like, well, if I said it, and if I want to change it, I can let y'all know, like, you know, I did believe that, but I, I've actually shifted a little bit after some experience or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're human. And again, I think it's important too, for folks to see that part too, of like, we're, we're evolving, learning, changing humans. Yeah. We can, we are vulnerable people too. And like, we can sort of, we can change our minds. Mm-hmm. We can apologize if we're in the wrong. Um, and that's what we're here to do. We we hold ourselves accountable as well as our community. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. and I think yeah. with the um with the human part, we spend we spend a lot of time, um, Melanie and I, thinking about how we want to maintain our integrity as we communicate with mm-hmm. the world, like with the dance union, even more specifically than like our individual voices, like. There are some things that like, if I didn't check in with the twerk team about it, I would like put my name on it. Like if, if I'm using the dance unions, like Instagram page, I'd be like, Jay Bowie said this, just in case mm-hmm. you have it. Like, I know it's spicy, you know? But the conversations we have often go into like, um, 
into questions that we, in, into the same ways that we want to hold these systems of a, systems um, and, and institutions accountable. Like huh? we ca can be seen as an institution or, or at least as an organization or an entity to some folks. And the same ways that we hold other people accountable, we, we are intentionally making space and preparing ourselves to be held accountable if mm -hmm. and when that moment comes. Because just as Melanie said, we are humans. So like we huh? learn a lot and we learn a lot on this particular job. Um, having mm -hmm. conversations with the field. So if something that we said um, doesn't doesn't anymore like or is or is out of alignment with how we're moving right now, let's say something said two years ago and we realized that like, oh, that's not it. Yeah. Like we talk about like what it, how do we respond to that? And honestly, I think it's it's really important to have already started cultivating that kind of like self-accountability process before you get into the public sphere like this, um, because of how we've seen social media and the internet in general like evolve before this you could possibly like be a very terrible person disappear from the limelight for like mm -hmm. you know a couple months or years and then come back mm -hmm. and then everybody feel what you said not anymore there's a record people remember things screenshots are abundant mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean so mm -hmm. yeah and i i really i think well, the last thing is like to really honor what Melanie and I have done in the years on the podcast means that we have to also honor everyone else who has a similar fire. You know, like I genuinely look forward to the moment when a young whippersnapper comes up to this elderly Jay dancer person <laughs> and has to be like, what you said it did was wrong. And I'm like, oh, well, let's yes. And I'm like, all right, tell me, talk to me, tell me what I did yeah. wrong. Like, yeah. let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah. yeah. I like that. And then I feel like also too, like with uh, this whole held account, like I feel like we're in a we're in a community where we we hold each other as like, you know, shout out to Dr. Renee Brown of like we're in the arena together. Mm -hmm. So it may be it may be we may be uncomfortable, it may be difficult, but like Jay models this beautifully of like, okay, we have a relationship, I love you. So we're gonna have this tough conversation mm -hmm. and know that we are coming with the best intentions and with love, but some of the things you might hear you might not mm -hmm. like. Yeah. Um, and so that that's a constant practice that's sort of uh, that we we really value, and I'm what I'm grateful for is like the ways in which is sort of manifesting in other parts of my life too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have totally felt can relate to that. We're in this together mentality of truth, like working with someone for years and knowing how to come to those conversations is like a, such a learning curve. And so modeling that with mm -hmm. each other is like, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. and then being willing to learn because sometimes we totally. get it wrong. Yep. Yeah. 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 Last thing I want to say about relationships in in general is that we're talking about we're talking about this field and we're talking about institutions oftentimes. And I know from being an artist outside of institutions, it's it's really easy to place the blame on the institution and let that stop right there, like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. give me or NF and the NEA or something like that. Just name a thing that we can attach mm -hmm. so many evils to it. Um, but the reality is that those institutions are not alive. They are not living. They do not breathe. They, they, you can't build a genuine relationship with them. What right. you can build genuine relationships with other people who are within those institutions who actually run right. that ship. So uh -huh. right. when I think about what it is that we're doing, I'm like, the fire that I'm bringing is to the idea that that is the institution that is shared between multiple people, not right. the people. Like, I'm not coming after yes. Uh, right. Amy so-and-so who runs this specific right. institution because the reality is if I was in Amy's position I might have made the same choice mm. and the importance of having this relationship is honoring the sacred fire that's necessary 
to tear some things down within this relationship. It's like, mm -hmm. I'm in this field with mm -hmm. you. This does not work for us. You're causing me harm. I need you to go back into the drawing board with your power and with your access. Change that because we need to have a more harmonious mm -hmm. relationship. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Right. Right. And I, I mean, you just made such an excellent point there too about how these people do have, sometimes there are these individuals who just like have, they are in a powerful place. And they also, they have, like, they can make impacts that are bad, which they sometimes do, but they can also make impacts that are good if you have these conversations with them that can be real and, um, you know, maybe a little bit awkward. But I think a lot of people are, are more willing to learn. Some, listen, some institutions, they're going to they're gonna die on their hill, they, I think. Like, some, I think we've been talking a lot to people about some classical forms and some classical institutions that are just, they don't care to change. They don't, hmm. they don't show, and maybe they need to be outdated. Maybe they need to be done, but like the classical art forms in some ways got to die. And I think that's something you, you two have also said on your podcast about, about the forms. Here's the thing. I mean, I don't know if they have to die, but they, like the, mm -hmm they're no longer at the center of our narrative, mm -hmm. right? Like I think, totally. again, I, I really appreciate archive. I appreciate history, where we come from and why. Mm -hmm. I think even for me with my master's mm -hmm. degree, it, I had to understand why am I learning from all these professors who love this minimalist shit? Like they're really, <laughs> they're riding hard for it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, because you come from that generation that was, you know, post Martha Graham yes. and you like, you wanted to yeah. move away from that. But like, it was important for me to know like, why they were riding hard for it. Mm. And then why my general relationship was like, actually not interested, mm. but good to know that that's where y'all are coming mm -hmm. from. So, mm -hmm. and, and also that I'm not going to center what you value as uh, aesthetically pleasing or mm -hmm. uh, good art or high art, mm -hmm. right? Um, so like, again, just like us making a choice to shift that narrative. And as Jay and I've talked about before, I'm excited with the, you know, the new generations, how they're gonna come and be like, okay, so, this is outdated. We're not doing that no more. And I, I want to hear it. Like that language is old. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I look forward to it. Cause like, that's how we keep moving our industry forward. Mm -hmm. And also it's like, we expand outward and we also can go deeper mm -hmm. and like um, cultivating space for that to happen without judgment. Cause I, I feel like some of our elders were like, repeat what I do, do what I do or you will fail. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, I felt that in institutions growing up my entire life. Into university, haven't gone back since graduating because of that. Boring, probably. You know, it's you know? boring. Yeah, mm -hmm. of course. Um, so there's been a conversation among Toronto artists and specifically dance artists here in the city, directly related to the National Ballet, that these classical institution institutionals forms if that made sense um, mm -hmm. need to. They're not supporting the community that they say they're supporting. Mm -hmm. And so we need to leave them and make our own institutions. Mm -hmm. And that's been a, a thing that's been floating around, especially since last summer, um, when there was a dancer that came out against the National Ballet for racist practices. And they did the whole like allyship that nothing changed and nothing happened and you know, blah, 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 blah. So let's not support these forms that say they are supporting us and they are supporting the community anymore. I'm gonna ramble around a thought okay. and Jay's gonna help me get there. Cool. Because one, I'm thinking about council culture. Yes. Little country in there. Cancel culture. And then also I'm thinking about like, there are ways of making these forms relevant, but they have, that's, that's work they have to do. I'm not interested in doing that work. I'm not mm -hmm. interested in being in dialogue with how that's going to happen, but it's possible. Because also I'm just thinking about the ways in which there are a lot more black ballerina representation here in the States and the way it's sort of um, 
it's finding its way into communities and different here's again the word community is also weighted and, and very um can be problematic too mm-hmm. um again i don't know that you throw the whole thing out but for those who are interested in doing the work i think there's a way of repurposing these forms to support mm-hmm. certain types of na- dialogues i will say something about ballet that i ugh, i don't know Ugh, I, this is so complicated. I'll just say like, I appreciate, I appreciated the repetition and the way it uh, conditioned my body in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Especially since I hadn't been doing certain things as, as much. I'm like, oh, the mm-hmm. butt was tight because of this. <laughs> Let me hit in this plie, which happens in a lot of different forms, right? Yes. These are strong because of this, this repetition, this consideration of body, this, um, because like the way things are connected, right? So there's some things about different forms that are that can still support and serve us. We just gotta like approach it like not from the front door, maybe the side, the back, hit mm-hmm. it in through the window. Yes. <laughs> no, I totally get that. Yeah. You know, like it, it, it like it all makes sense, and it, it's I like the sentiment is the sentiment. I don't know what the word I'm looking for. It's like for me and my life and what I guess what I'm trying to do that's like true for everything like every institution must die at some point mm-hmm. like it's not even like a doesn't need to die right now is an urgency around its death it's like no like it's like how life works there's going to be a time when that thing isn't needed and we must allow for it to go when it's not needed and we're learning how this ballet culture less of the form itself but the culture yes is- ah yes 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 I should make that should have made that distinction. Yes, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily the form. It's, okay, great. It's the it's, culture. It's the culture that surrounds it, and I guess specifically with the National Ballet in Canada, which is like the Toronto's the most diverse city in mm-hmm. North America. But what mm-hmm. we see on our stages does not reflect the city that it lives in. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. And those things, and I know that I'm sorry to jump in and cut you off there. Oh, um, please. Thank you. In those in those moments where we where we are seeing a disconnect between what is what someone or some entity says they're doing versus what they're actually doing, mm-hmm. just an alignment. It's just clear that it's not in alignment. So I think it it brings us to what is our response individually and collectively. The universe is always going to bring us an opportunity to respond to something um, that is whether in alignment or not of a, not in alignment with us. Giving our energy to even like go in and, and and list all the ways that this institution is racist and this institution didn't do this or lied here and get all into the nitty-gritty of it is still pouring energy into that institution so where we bring our attention is where our intention goes and that thing grows so if we don't want that thing to grow we divest pull that attention and intention that you have and place it in the areas that have the alignment with what you're looking for say no to that thing move away from it no unsubscribe unfollow stop don't talk about it anymore if we want something to die we have to just allow it to die um so then we go in over to the places in the dance communities and and companies and artists who are doing that work give them your money give them your time give them your love give energy grow the thing that you want to see because the truth is yeah we need to build new institutions and i think that is a wonderful mental rhetoric that we say so regularly but rarely do we actually see the masses doing it. Like we know we need to topple Amazon. 
how many of us still have Amazon Prime memberships? Stop it. <laughs> we know we need to <laughs> like if you know. But here, oh, see, that's uh, complicated because you know I do a lot of socialist work, all right. So here's mm -hmm. the thing about Amazon: it's related to all the stuff we do. It's like there are also people who work there. There are millions, like millions of people who actually work there. So it's again mm -hmm. like how do you how do you divest and topple a system and that's problematic, but still support the people who are, mm -hmm. are building lives off of it, right? Like yep. I know there's this big, this huge campaign to like put Amazon in public ownership, like let the workers own that mm -hmm. shit. Like, what does that look like? Again, like uh, mm -hmm. starting to ask different questions, make bold and badass proposals and see what happens, right. you know? Mm -hmm. I, I feel, uh, I, yeah. You, you got it, Melinda, you done? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking in those, like, I, I think a lot of times we, I, I, I often sense a lot of fear around like toppling the system because we're afraid of the aftermath that might happen to the people who are still working within it. I just, I will, I will say this, like, instead of thinking artists, artists have been taught this, consider your audience as a stupid group of people. And I'm just being like real frank, consider your audience stupid so that you lay it out flat for them and they get it and you're not challenging them at all. Like so much yeah. art school, is to essentially treat the viewer and the participants and the witnesses as they're not as intelligent as the artist. That's unfortunate. Right. Do the opposite. Think of them as just as genius or sometimes even more intelligent than you are. And that's true for most of humanity. Most of us are going to get out of a burning building. Most of us are not going to stay in a burning building. We're not going to just sit there and see the smoke and the fire and be like, oh my gosh, I guess I need to stay here a little bit. Most of us are going to move when we can move. So if that building is coming down, the institution is coming down, trust that the people are going to get out and go somewhere else. But I think the thing that like the workers working in major institutions like that or organizations that are really corrupt and negative and disgusting, you're like, once that thing comes down, we will be able to then move them to somewhere else. Because the other thing is that those organizations have monopolies on things where they are not able to move anywhere else, where the only job to get is Amazon. The only thing that business, only way that businesses can grow are going to be in relationship to this insidious thing. Okay. Take it down and you breathe, then now, now there's breath for people to go, oh, I didn't, I guess I did want to start my own mom and pop convenience store around the corner that's only just only, only going to just serve these 500 people in this area. Mm -hmm. And because that's how we did a lot of things before we had major monopolies, you know? So like it's, I, I understand that the the protecting the people in the spaces and I also trust that like people are going to be smart and get out before it even gets to that point of them getting into danger. And if yeah. they aren't, that's also their decision, similar to like when we when some of us stayed during the pandemic. Those who fled were like, girl, what's wrong with you? Why would you stay? And those of us who stayed I didn't were, say that. Not a, I didn't say that was you. We're talking about you. See, you a hit dog that hollered. That was you. No. <laughs> some folks are like, why would you stay in the city? It's crazy. Like you need to get out. And those of us who stayed were like, you know, for me, I was like, I don't have another, I don't have another place to go. I really don't. I'm gonna I'm I'm this out, see what happens. Um, and whatever may come, I was going to accept. Like whatever comes, that is my decision. So I think yeah. that's like treat people as really intelligent. They're gonna make the best decisions for them. They either gonna get out or they're gonna stay. And that's up to mm -hmm. us. Uh, that's tricky, Jay. Because again, if we want to treat people with intelligence, like they have intelligence, look at us right now with COVID. We can't really trust you, you know, because who child. I mean, I, I'm, I'm tr when I say I think the thing is like this is this goes into a little bit more complicated way of looking at humanity. But like, 
we all do not exist in the same world. None of us exist yeah. in the same world. We all exist yeah. in our individual world that we made up the rules and what is healthy for us. So mm -hmm. everyone yep. is, like, just like Brene Brown said, like, everyone is doing what they think is best for them. Mm -hmm. yes. Even if it means going outside without a mask on and hanging out with people, they think that is best for them. So we have to allow for people to have that because mm -hmm. the thing is like, when we go in and tell someone um, that what we think is best for their lives, that's when they have they have legitimate reason to push back and tell me, how are you, you going to tell me what's best for my life? And right. all the people down in Texas who are like, I'm going to do what I need to do. Forget the government. You can tell me what to do. Because in a, in a way, yeah, you got a lot of people telling you what you what think is best for them. What we have to understand is that like the we have a duality. And, mm -hmm. and living in a world where dualities can exist, the yes and can exist is honestly the a challenging thing to cultivate in a in the United States Western culture because we, we support individualism so much. So mm -hmm. we can cultivate duality, then we can honor our individual sovereignty along with living in community at the same time because that is really the reality that we can do. So then mm -hmm. you say, I don't really want to wear a mask and I don't really want to do this, but I'm at least not affect somebody else. Like that comes into mm -hmm. the reality part that we're not seeing so much of. And I don't blame right. people as much as I blame that on on the societies and the ways that we are cultivating cultures in this moment. So we just need yeah. to cultivate a culture that involves duality and, and invests in duality. But that's 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 so big. You know what I mean? Like how do we get there with you? Right. I mean I don't really blame people for doing what they think is best for themselves. Because like well, this is your choice. Also everybody's reality is there is so different. Like we could have a conversation right now what you what you think what's going on in the conversation right now versus what i think is going on in the conversation right now could be two completely different we could be on the same page but it could be two completely different realities that we have both have had shared experience and lived you know mm -hmm. yeah. so you're right in a sense that you're right general you're right <laughs> but um but yeah like just because one this person is doing what's best for them and this person is doing what's best for them doesn't mean it one is better than the other it means that we still need to have each other's backs we still need to be a community and yeah. this does bring me back to melanie who you mentioned that like you know community can sometimes be problematic the word community and i just want to touch on what that meant because i i would love, love to hear more about why why you said that um, I guess I'm speaking to the way in which it's used. So like we've talked about this on the podcast before of the way we've seen applications say, how are you invested in your community? How are you uh, okay. engaged? Whereas like a lot of us, a lot of our community, like our folks have always been doing this work. We talk about like, you are an organizer if you get more than two people in a, well, even if you get yourself into a dance studio and you choreograph, like that's organizing things to happen. Right. And the way in which we define community and the way in which we engage it um, can sometimes be different than the ways in which funders are asking us to define it or what they think is hot and popping at the moment. Mm. So this is when things like community become problematic and challenging. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Sorry, I was just like, you mentioned that and I wanted to make sure I understood what you meant when you were saying oh, yeah. that. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Well, we're having like an issue here. I mean, in, in Canada, I don't know if this is an issue that's happening in the States. I can't speak to it, but um, in terms of people applying for grant funding, mm -hmm. especially big companies, um, contemporary companies is where, what I'm most familiar with, but I'm sure there's other companies that the same problem are happening, where people are getting funding from the community, from Toronto Arts Council, from Canada Arts Council, 
And it's under the idea that they're going to be open to people from like black indigenous people of color, you know, people that are um, like any type of people, they get this funding saying they're gonna like give jobs and they don't. And their mm-hmm. excuse when people come to them is, oh, well, like no one of like, well, oh no, no black dancers applied or mm-hmm. no indigenous dancers applied. And then, but that's not like, that's just an excuse at this point. You need to like go, what, we have to think about like the broader thing, the broader scale of things, which is why, why are you making it uncomfortable? Is there an uncomfortable situation that's happening in the room that, you know, indigenous dancers don't want to apply? Is, is, is it happen? I think it personally happens right from the beginning. We're not getting into communities where there's not, they, people can't get into dance classes. So we're not fostering dance at a young age and not providing opportunity for an, enough dancers of you know black indigenous people of color you know and see here mm-hmm. i had to catch up but here's where here's where i find my fire with this whole situation right yeah. first of all it's it's i feel like it's more advantageous for funders to give money to the people already doing this work i'm not really interested in a company telling me they're going to do things in the community if i go to your website and you've never been in the community before first mm-hmm. of all that's that's point blank period one mm-hmm. number two who are you to say what black brown indigenous folks need want or are desiring like, mm-hmm. it's not, for, again, we also talk about this. It's not for you to come into a community and say, I'm offering you this really cool thing. Mm-hmm. This is why I'm always very intentional. Like, even when I teach a class, mm-hmm. I'm like, because I am stepping into a community, an existing mm-hmm. community, right? What have y'all been learning? Here's my mm-hmm. skill set. What can I do to support what you're already doing? Is this relevant? Right. Is this necessary? You know what I mean? Like, there, there are a lot of conversations that need to be had in terms of how uh, organizations and companies are even integrating themselves into spaces. And also realize, like, when actually... You're actually not invited and we don't yes. want or have a desire for you. And then mm-hmm. the third thing about that is like when you look at when you look at folks and sort of engaging in community mm-hmm. spaces, um, understanding because this is happening with my admin work too, mm-hmm. understanding the context and the history of why certain folks don't apply are not interested in or even know that there is access to certain things and mm-hmm. understanding that it's going to require extra work. So even when I was in a situation recently and we needed a PR person and obviously the go-to is like, oh, we're moving fast. Let's go with this white person, like this white PR person. I'm like, I want to, again, can we please pause? Are there any POC press people that we can reach out to? Like right now, we need to start doing that now. Well, there are no one that we know of. Well, we need to be doing that work to find those people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's going to require some extra work and labor. But again, let's talk about why it's going to require extra work and labor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. it's just there's so much there's so much that's problematic with that shit it's and it's so annoying yeah uh, i feel like we're constantly seeing it in the canadian granting system yeah where it's the same institutions all the time getting the same money and nothing is changing mm-hmm. so like who's being held how are they being held accountable like how why are they no still idea. getting money no idea is a community available to say hey this is happening stop it knock it off there's been giving few- them money I think there's been a few instances where people have started to speak up a little bit about it, but I mean, it's hard, it's a hard, it's very, you know, it's complex because it's this like government funding and people it's technically on a, when you get a, a Toronto arts council grant, it's like, it's supposed to be your peers that are evaluating the. Who's on the panel. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's it's not paid to be on the panel. 
it's not paid to be on the panel. So you have to volunteer. So you have to so be. You, you have to have that privilege already to just be able to volunteer your time, your effort. You have to read. Think of all those applications. Like you've all been there. We're writing these applications. They're you know twenty five freaking pages sometimes, and these people have to be able to read what a hundred applications. Like it's and I get paid. You're right. Like who's who has the privilege to do that? Yeah, yeah. And that's part of where like the system. That's that is the system that we're talking about. I think yeah. a lot of mm -hmm. don't understand the don't yet understand because it takes some time to get like to keep diving diving keep asking the questions that get you closer and closer to the minutia of the thing but this is part of the minutia the the yeah. i would talk about the body of the system this is the um this is the fascia this is the connective tissue that holds this all together it's not just so much that we have white supremacy and patriarchy and these other systems of oppression it's that we legitimately have embedded in our culture little things like this is unpaid volunteer based position of power that is inherently inaccessible so you don't have to say that we're only allowing um wealthy white folks to sit on the panel we're just going to make it so that only wealthy white folks sit on the panel so that's part of the insidiousness of a lot of these systems of oppression is that you don't have to name it for it to exist so i think it helps us mm -hmm. at this moment in this age of uh however you want to define it this age of transformation aquarius whatever <laughs> during this, this moment to like really name the things that have gone unnamed so that when we point to it and we talk about it is no longer a, a feeling or a hunch or 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 something like that but it's a tangible like a plus b equals this and here and why and like succinctly and i think the last thing i want to offer is that like there's a power that i'm starting to tap into and understand that when dealing with folks who exist in those institutions is to be able to deliver these kinds of um, new ways of, of being, I guess I'll call it really is what it is, like a new way of being um, with joy and happiness in your heart. Because I think the part that folks really miss is that what we're asking for isn't, isn't like rooted in um, frustration, isn't rooted in anger. It's actually rooted in desire to be joyful and to experience peace. So when I present like, hi, I would like to, I would like to curate slash like host this open studios for black folks only. Like I'm, I'm happy about it. I'm joyful about it for the, mm -hmm. the space for artists to share their works in progress that are about revolution and change and trauma in a space that's going to be healthy for them so that they're not re-traumatizing themselves in the process. That's my joy. So when I present it, it'll be in a state of joy and I won't allow you to 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 let that run around keep me from being joyful i will meditate i will drink my water i'll check in with my people and when i get back to this email you will always experience love and joy from <laughs> cultivated moment i'm not here to fight you i'm here to cultivate joy and, and you know that, that kind of thing totally yeah yeah um on that note let's ask you the question corinne do you want to you want to ask away um jane melanie is being an artist fucking killing you oh that's the question Wait, is killing me a good thing or, or like, how are you using the word killing me? How do you, you interpret it? Yeah. <laughs> it's killing me. It's like, it's like, what is your dancing you have, Melanie? Yeah. <laughs> is it killing you? Nah, but it's testing my patience. <laughs> it's not killing me, but it's, I just, I, I, there's something that Jay just said about this joy. I'm, I'm so invested in joy and pleasure. And now that I am stepping away from systems that no longer serve me, I'm finding so much joy and pleasure in my practice, in my work, in my imaginings. And that feels so good. It feels so nourishing. And I, I was not there a while ago. So 
it ain't killing me, but it's there's there's like oppressive structures that were part of my my narrative before that are trying. It's testing me. <laughs> That's my long answer. Perfect. Um, thank you for sharing that, Melanie. It is it is in no way killing anything. It is um it is giving me life. It's bringing joy. It's bringing peace, happiness. It's bringing so many connections. Um, one of my most favorite milestones as an artist was um in preparation for this film, Chiron and Leo, that I'm, uh, that will premiere in May, May 27th, 28th. Um, I went around to all the black owned businesses and restaurants in the neighborhood, gave them my card. I was like, hi, artist working on the film, wondering if you can sponsor with some in-kind donation or something like that. And what felt so great about it was that like, I was introducing myself to my community as an artist. Mm -hmm. What was about to come up from that interaction? You now know me as an artist and the relationship that we will build from this moment will be you, business owner, me, artist, whatever we do together. And I think that's the part was like, I guess it's really hard. It's really hard for the the nose of a um, application process to really get to you when you know that you are embedded in the community that's here to look out for you. Cause that those applications are often outside of the community. Hey man. So like, yep. That part is like, I'm sustained here. You know what I mean? I plan to continue to cultivate my community as an artist as best as I can. That's a great, because I say it's a great, comp, like a great uh, invitation, Jay, of like how COVID has also localized our artistry a lot more. And us sort of like, again, looking, looking back to our community and those that hold us in a different way and not looking outside to these systems that don't understand, don't have any sort of like, and we don't need to sort of justify our work in terms of. Uh, I love that because you know me. I, I used to love applying to shit, and I was like, "Yeah, every no gets me closer to my yes." I did not apply to anything this year, and don't plan to, because wow. it's like that's not that's not where my work wants to live and exist, or where I want my to build mm. these outside structures. So yeah, wow, those are hey, that's exciting. It is exciting. <laughs> thank you. That's amazing. Um, those are two both amazing answers, and thank you so much to the two of you. Um, we are so happy that you were able to make it on here. Um, if people are looking to where to check you out, where should they check you out? I have a website. It's uh, www.methodsofperception.com. Mm. Um, I just recently released my first book from my Sapphire Chronicle series, which mm. is inspired by my performance work, Sapphire, which will the dance film will yeah. also be coming from. So loving all the tentacles that this work is, is having and the way she keeps speaking to me. I call it her, yes, she speaks to me. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, check me out on the website, join a listserv, holla. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm also on Instagram, Lainey Ree. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Jay? Um, my website is jbowie, that's just the letter J, B-O-U-E-Y.com. Um, I'm on Instagram, J underscore B as the boy, O-U-E-Y, same as Twitter. Um, look out for my um, film, Karen and Leo, that premieres May 27th, 28th. Uh, and also, those are the main ways you can find me until um, until about June. And then I know I'm going to take my my annual summer jump off of social media and just go live life moment. So if you don't find me, you're probably not going to find me. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, they can check you out at the Dance Union on Instagram, right? And on the website. Yeah, so. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at the dance union. My gosh! Oh, and please, um, 
please. I don't know. There's something else I was going to say about the dance union. I guess we can just end our episode. It's not coming to me, but just please. Um, dance union also has a Patreon, right? <laughs> yes, we have a Patreon. Please, um, thank you for that currency. Check <laughs> <laughs> out our Patreon at Patreon.com/backslash/danceunion. Um, it's it really supports all of what we're doing, and we have we have a, another beautiful tentacle that's beginning to grow. So we're excited to share that with our Patreon community. So if you want to be the first in on that, join our Patreon. Um, the the entry level starts at about two dollars a month, and that's yeah. about a couple. Yeah. That's like a cup of coffee. And just know that what I love about Absolutely. the Patreon is like what goes in goes right back out. Like that mm -hmm. money comes from the community and it goes back out to support our community. Yeah. Back. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you two so much. Um, Thank you. Thank you for having us. such a joy. This is amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, Does it feel nice you. to be a guest? Yes. It, oh my God. Yes. <laughs> and I love that y'all are in Canada. I feel like I'm in Canada, but not. You don't want to be in Canada right now, anyway. Oh, right, yeah. Y'all right. down. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for listening. If you uh, liked this episode, go ahead and uh, give us a thumbs up. Like it. Uh, go to our Patreon. Go to their Patreon. Go to their Instagram, go to our Instagram, you know, go check us out on all the platforms. Check us out on Spotify, iTunes, all the things. You can check out the Dance Union on all those platforms as well. And thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.